Waiting can be hard. It can be thrilling as well, but it can be hard, right? Thrilling as a, as a young child waits eagerly on Christmas morning, maybe for older adults too. It can also be terrifying waiting, perhaps terrifying for a child or adult as you're waiting to be found out on that particular sin or waiting for discipline to happen. On a side note, I'm, I know I'm three sentences in, I'm on a side note already. It just occurred to me, uh, uh, this thought, like, this is the thing about uh, our sin is that, we, you know, we hide sin, don't we? We, we don't want it to be exposed. The beauty, as we think about an Advent, the beauty of God's judgment is he exposes every sin. He makes it public one day, and that's freedom. He forgives it all, and he allows you to be free from the terror of being found out, and he lays it all out there. But until then, until then that waiting can be terrifying, crippling, and hard, and waiting can be exhausting. Maybe it's that kind of waiting for a particularly laborious or and particularly hard work day, that the sun is beating down, or it's bitterly cold outside, or for me, maybe it's more emotionally hard that day, and you're just counting the moments for it to end that day. It's a particularly grueling day. Waiting can be hard. Advent is the season of waiting. It's the season of anticipating this, eagerly awaiting as well, too, excitement. But waiting can be hard. In this, in this season of two advents of his first coming, that he came in person, the incarnation, and then waiting for him to come again and to bring an end to all the suffering, it can be hard. And that's where we're at. We're living between these two advents, waiting, and it is hard. In fact, God promises it. It will be hard for us, particularly those that are his children. It will be hard. Romans 8, 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. God is saying present day, this age, right now, you will suffer. And then you begin to look at your life and begin to look at the world around you and you go, oh, okay, I get it. There is suffering. But he's saying also in the future, you will be glorified and there will be no more suffering. So why do we suffer? Why right now between these two advents do we suffer? Now, this is not an exhaustive list, but it's pretty the most comprehensive list I think I can think of. Is the first reason that you suffer and I suffer is because of our sin. Because you and I are broken people that have broken thoughts and broken hearts and do broken things. Horrific, evil things in this world. And so we actually suffer from that internally and externally. The other reason why we suffer is because other people are like you and me. And we harm other people. And so there's suffering in that. And we see the consequences of that suffering in our lives, in the lives of people around us. Broken people hurting other broken people. 
And then the third reason I think to summarize all is that there's a universal consequence of sin. That at the very beginning, as sin enters in the world, God gives a curse not just to all humanity, but to all creation because of the sin of hum- humans. And he curses the ground. He says, your labor will be hard now. Your life will be hard because of the natural consequence of sin. And so everything is broken. We heard it in this passage this morning. All creation is fallen and waiting for the redemption of people. And the last thing why we suffer is because we're united in Jesus. And I talked about it last week that this is the way. This is the way of love that we lay down our life, that we suffer for other people's behalf. And because we're united in Jesus and his way and what love is, we will suffer. We're united in his death and resurrection. We're united in his love. If suffering and hardship is promised, and it is, how do we wait? How do we actively wait between these two advents? How do we live and how do we act in our suffering right now? Last, the two weeks ago, we talked about, right, God has given us a new status, that he's declared us righteous, and that he's, living, he's working that righteousness out in us. He's sanctifying us, making us, changing our character to be right. But he's declared it. He's given us his righteousness. And also, Last week we talked about he's given us a new family. That we are now his children, adopted into his family, and that he's making us live out the character of his family. It's declared, and it's being lived out in us, moment by moment. And today we're going to talk about God has given us a new future. He's given us new status, a new family, and he's given us a new future. And in this new future, we are to wait by considering, and we are to, to live out this new future by knowing. This is how we're to wait, by considering and by knowing. Romans eight eighteen, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So we are to consider right now and ponder and weigh the suffering that we have right now, the situation, the circumstances we have right now, and the promise of what is to come. And we are to weigh this moment, consider what God has promised in comparison to what we have now. And one surely outweighs the other. We are to consider that in our waiting right now. Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to purpose. We're not only to consider, to weigh and compare, the situation, we are to know right now that God loves us and that God so loves that he gives. That God is immeasurably kind to us and that right now he has given us everything that we need. All the suffering and all the moments in the world, we need to know that there's an eternal glory that waits for us. We wait and we suffer between these two advents, considering, considering our circumstances and the promise that has been made. And we are to know who God is, the promise keeper. We are to know that this is the love that he has for us. Not just to hope, but know that this is true. In summary, 
This is how I would summarize, considering on. We are to wait by keeping our eyes on our hope. The promise of a God that we know will be fulfilled in the future. That's what hope is. The promise of God that we know will be fulfilled in the future. And the reason why we have assurance that it will be fulfilled in the future is that all the promises of God that have happened before have already been fulfilled. They are to encourage us. Look at He made these promises and they were fulfilled. And the promises he said are to come will be fulfilled because he is a promise keeper. And every promise he's made, he has keep. Why would he break one now? The, the incarnation of Christ is a fulfilled promise for us. As we wait for the second coming, we're reminded as we look at the first coming that this is a fulfilled promise. All the Old Testament prophecy, prophecies and promises that predicted this moment. Think about all the promises that God makes that he says he will come again. We are to be encouraged by that as we wait and live and act in this moment. But presently, waiting is hard. And here's how we wait. We live in frustration. We wait in frustration and we wait in hope. I don't know if any of you have experienced frustration in your life or today. Or have any of you experienced hope today? We live in tension between frustration and hope. And in this passage, there are three groaners. I know we love groaners. But in this passage, there were three groaners that give witness to this tension of living in frustration and living in hope. Waiting in frustration and waiting hope. The first groaner, their first groaning witness is all of creation. Romans 8, 19 to 22. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and attain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now creation all of god's creation all of it groans together why does it groan it groans because it has been subjected put under futility put under death not because creation chose this this is not what creation is like personified to say you know what we just like death and we're going to choose this we like suffering no no it says not because it because it didn't deserve this either Creation was good. You remember at the creation, it was good. Something happened. God subjected it to fertility, not humanity. I want you to understand that. It's not humans that subject creation to fertility. It is God that does it. God is the one that issues the punishment and the consequent to all of creation for the sin of humanity. We can go a lot into the theology of why God actually has done this, the connection of Adam and the ground and all of creation. But the point is, God subjected, not because he's just punishing things, because there is a hope. There is a hope. And what is creation hoping for? The redemption of not itself. The redemption and waiting of the adoption of the full humanity of God's children. Isn't that interesting? 
that creation is groaning in pains for the adoption of the children of God, for the revealing of the sons of God. All creation groans in the present, in futility and frustration because of sin, because of sin humanity. And all creation hopes in that same moment in the promised future of the glory of God's children when all things will be restored. And we're told at the very at the end that the groaning is not, it's not the groaning of death pangs. I don't know if you've been around people that are dying, but oftentimes there is a sound of death and is a groan. Several years ago, some of you were around, Frank Bradley had that groan in this sanctuary. Not a great groan. Very discouraging. He didn't die that day, but that was down. He, he lost his breath, and he lost moment consciousness. That's not the groaning. It's talk about, what is it? It's not the groaning of, of dying. That's not the groaning of creation. It's the groaning of rebirth. That's what, it's the groaning of childbirth, of waiting for God's children for everything to be made new. Now, here's the thing about childbirth. Now, I'm not diminishing the pain of, I've never been through childbirth myself. I've witnessed my wife gone through it. It is painful. I am all for my wife getting some drugs to diminish the pain in that moment because it makes my life a little bit, and, and you know you don't want your loved ones to be in pain. And if, you, if you know me, you know it's all about me anyway. <laughs> right, so childbirth is painful. God promises it will be painful. But here's the thing. When it works well, when, it is, when the child is born healthy and alive, all that pain is momentarily forgotten. There is, there's a joy and exuberance and, you know, adrenaline and everything that's flashing more. And, like, there's excitement in that moment. I mean, there's still you have to deal with the consequence of the pain of the going through. All right, not, not to diminish that at all. But as compared to death, we know death is evil. It is a terrible, terrible thing. There's not a moment when someone dies, you're like, yo! And if, it, if that's your response, it doesn't matter how old the person is. Death is a terrible thing. Is that at enmity with God. God will be victorious. God is victorious over death. But that's not the groaning here. The groaning is hope. Frustration in the moment, but hope in the future. The first groaning witness is all of creation. And the second groaning witness is us. You and I. Romans 8, 23, 25. Not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. We groan in our suffering in this moment. Of all the reasons why we suffer in this world, we groan in this moment. We groan partially because we do not have the full fruit of the Spirit, right? It says we have the first fruits of the Spirit. 
What, what is the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is the character of God. You go Galatians 5, 22, 23, right? All those things that begin to describe the character of God. That's what God is beginning to give in us, transform us into be. And so we only have the first fruits of that. One day, we'll have the full fruit of the Spirit. That we'll be completed in the Spirit. And we'll have the full character of God. Not His nature, His character that would be the fruit of God fully blossomed in us. But right now, we have the first fruit. So we groan in this. We groan because we struggle with the old life and the new life, and yet we hope and the spirit is that isn't working in us. The frustration and the hope. And verse 23, just like creation, we groan waiting for the adoption of his being part of his family again. We groan. What's interesting enough is Romans 8, 15, it seemed like we were already adopted, and yet we still groan for the full adoption. Romans 8, 15 says, For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. I, I do just want to make a, a statement here. It says sons. The ESV is just being overly masculine here. Uh, this is actually a very inclusive language that actually means children or uh, male and female. Uh, so it is, you know, if you're, if you're a woman, you're like, what? I have to be a son? That's not what it's saying, right? We're children of God, sons and daughters. That's actually what it is kind of uh, trying to say here. So just wanted to put that out to you, right? So here it's declared, Romans 18 says it's declared, and yet here a couple of verses later it says, we're raiding for it and groaning. Here's the thing. This adoption is just like righteousness. It is declared, and we already receive it, and yet this justification is being worked out in sanctification. Our character is changing. There is a already, for sure, guarantee, and then there is a living this out. And this is because this is how we experience time in a linear fashion. And just like the adoption of sons, it is declared... You are my children, and I am helping you live out the character of the children of God. And more and more, I'm transforming you into my character of what it means to be a child of God. Declared already, and yet not yet, being worked out, promised by God. 2 Corinthians 5, 2-4 says it this way. For in this tent, this body, we groan longing to put on the heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would rather be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up in life. Let me try to explain it this way, right? So we are groaning, not because we want to be naked, because we have put on clothing. And that clothing reality is that we are unrighteous. God is gifting us with new clothes of righteousness. And we just haven't fully pulled it on. And so we're groaning as we're, we're getting fitted for this new cloth. This new robe of righteousness that we'll put on. And that one day we'll be put on fully. This actually makes sense if you think about, if you go back to Genesis... 
Adam and Eve are naked, and one of the results of sin is that they see their nakedness and they are ashamed of it. So shame is part of that. And what do Adam and Eve do? They, put, they make these loincloths, right, and try to clothe themselves. They clothe themselves. Before they leave the garden, God removes those cloths, and he gives them new clothes. He gives them. It doesn't say how he gives it to them. It says he just gives it to them. Here's the thing. In the si- clothing are a sign of inheritance. Clothing are a sign that you belong to your father. And oftentimes, you get this in the prodigal of the lost uh, son, is that the, the actual inheritance was actually sewn in the, in the robe and the cloth that the father gives. And so when the prodigal son goes back, he gives him his new inheritance again. And so likewise, as God says, get rid of that unrighteousness, what are you trying to do? Cover your, I will cover you. I will declare you righteous. I will make you right. You are my children. You are not your own. You belong to me. And he clothes them and they go off in the world. There's still consequence for the sin, but they go in righteous. And the rest of the Bible, they use this metaphor is like God clothes you in his righteousness. And God, this robe of righteousness that's dipped in Christ's blood in Revelation. This is what we're waiting for. This, this full restoration into the character of the children of God. Our justification fully realized in every moment. Bono from U2 says about this waiting, he says it this way. Your nature is a hard thing to change. It takes time. I have heard of people who have life-changing, miraculous turnarounds. People set free from addiction after a single prayer. Relationships saved where both parties let go and let God, but it was not like that for me. For all that, I was lost and am found. It is probably more accurate to say I was really lost, and I'm a little less at the so at the moment, and then a little less and a little less again. That to me is the spiritual life, the slow reworking and rebooting the computer at regular intervals, reading the small print of the service manual. It has slowly rebuilt me in a better image. It has taken years, though, and it is not over yet. I don't know what you identify with, but I identify with the latter part. The slow rebooting and transformation in my life. The ups and downs day in and day out of the old self and the new self. The new self being worked out in me. This is the life that we are in, in between these two advents, where we we live in frustration in it, and we live in hope and the promise that is yet to come. The first groaner was all of creation. The second groaner was all of us. And the third groaning witness is the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 26 to 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This is the biggest groaner of all. The creation and us, we're groaning. But the Spirit is groaning quite differently than we are. It's distinct. The Spirit, I want you to see in the groaning, it's, it's really distinct between how we and all of creation are groaning. We wait between these two advents. We are not the actors 
we do act, but we are not the main protagonists in all of history. God and his spirit is. The spirit does not wait between these two advents to move. The spirit is working and acting right now. The spirit is interceding. You, you saw the other two groaners. They weren't actually doing anything. They were groaning, waiting and hoping, living in that frustration. But the spirit right now is acting, is interceding with groanings too deep for words. It, this is a better way of, of thinking. It's, too, it, it's such a deep work, the groaning, the interceding, which the spirit has to do in our lives. It's too deep and too complex to actually explain to you and I the work the Holy Spirit has to do in you and I. It is a complex, deep understanding. It's beyond our ability to comprehend and to understand. And that's what it gets when the Spirit helps in our weakness. It's not saying the Spirit is saying that we're too sinful to actually do anything, but we do not have the ability to do this. We do not have the ability to do what the Spirit can do. We don't know how to act and we do not have the ability. It's not that we do not know how to pray. You and I know how to pray. But the point is, you actually don't know what to pray for. And the Spirit, who knows the will of God, because the Spirit is God. The Father and the Son are one. The Son and the Spirit are one. The, the Father and the Spirit are one. This is the Spirit of the Father and the Son. And so it always knows the will of God because it is the will of God. And so it prays. It does this interceding work that's, that's beyond our understanding to know what we actually need to pray for you and I individually and a whole, the will of God in your life. And that is in itself amazing. The Spirit intercedes on our behalf to pray to the Father what the will of God for you and I in our life. Here's the primary what the will of God is. This, you may think, of, well, we'll do, do this, do that. This is what the will of God. For you to be sanctified, to be made complete in his character. That is the will of God in your life. And the Spirit is doing that work right now in you. That is amazing. You're doing nothing right now, and the Spirit is working. Too deep for understanding. Here's the thing. The Spirit prays for the Father. The Father will always grant his will. Oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> I think you ought to do my will. Yes. And so it's always going to be granted. If the Spirit is interceding on the will of the Father, the will is always going to happen. And therefore, it will happen. You will be made into the character of God. This is not your work. It is the Spirit's deep work in us right now. Now, the Spirit doesn't groan in frustration in this moment. Creation, us, we groan in frustration. Why would the Spirit not groan in frustration? Because the Spirit knows that what it's doing is going to work. This is not a frustrating work for the Spirit. You are not too frustrating for God. You may think at times that you're too much for God, but you are not too much. That is not to demean or belittle the depths of your depravity. 
but you are not a work that God can overcome. It's like, you know, there's times when you come into a project or come to a work, you're like, you know, this is too difficult, too complex, I'm out, or I need help with it. God doesn't do that with you. He says, I got it. I know exactly what to do, and I will take care of it. This is his love. This is his kindness. This is his long patience with us. The Spirit is not in frustration. The Spirit actually doesn't live in hope either. Because the Spirit is the realized hope. The Spirit actually sees the reality. It's not, you know, hope is, is what we is not what we see, it's what we don't see. That's for you and I. God doesn't need to hope. God knows. God's not experiencing this reality as a, as a past and present and future. This is all reality to him that he has already accomplished. He has already accomplished his work in you. You and I just haven't realized it. So we live in frustration and we live in hope. The Spirit doesn't groan in frustration and the Spirit doesn't have to hope because the Spirit knows. God knows. We we are to wait for our new future, our promised, given, declared new future by considering and by knowing. Romans 8, 18. For I consider the sufferings of this present time not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Or as 2 Corinthians 4, 17 says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And that is not to say that this, what you're suffering right now, is nothing. It's, I, let's not diminish the pain of this world. Let's not diminish the pain or the cruelty of this moment that you may be going through. That's not what it's saying. But it says, in the light of everything, in the light of your promised future, God wants you to consider that it is nothing compared to this reality. And that's sometimes for hard for us to grasp, but he's saying, ponder it now. Consider it now. As you're living in these moments that are really hard, that are frustrating, ponder that now. And then know. Not just ponder, but know. Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called to his purposes. Now, this is probably one of the, if you, there are lots of pieces of scripture that are misquoted and misinterpreted. This is one of the top ones. Here's what it means. The promise of God to you that he will work all things for good is not right now. He's not saying, hey, because you love me, I'm going to fix your problem and fix your frustration and fix your suffering right now. He's actually done the opposite. He says, I promise this to you. I promise this suffering, and this suffering has a purpose. What he's saying is that in the end, all of Romans is saying is that in the end, all of this, all your pain and suffering, some of it what you cause, some of what others cause, some of it's just the natural consequences, all of that will be made out for your good because the Spirit is interceding in all of that. Because the Spirit is working in all of that. And He will glorify you one day. Know that fact. That God is working. And all things 
will be made right. And you and I will be glorified with him. We will be complete in his character. Our future glory, our future glory is the completion of our sanctification. The completion of the character of God. And that's just part of it. It's a big part of it. It's, it's being with him forever and ever and things that we can't even comprehend. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says it this way, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So every moment in our lives, as the Spirit is interceding for us, we are our glory is becoming more and more His glory because our character is changing slowly and painfully into His character, which is our future glory. And that's what it means to walk with Christ, that the Spirit is interceding for us. And the more, the more we gather together, the more we, we pray together, the more that God is working in us. And the ordinary way in which God works his sanctification process, not the only way, the ordinary way, is through the people of God. It's one of the reasons why we gather. God wants us to know what he knows about his grace towards us. God wants us to, I'm going to say that again because that's really important. God wants you and I to know what he knows about his grace towards us. And he goes on to say to Romans 8, 29 to 30, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. That's our past. It's not God's past. It's our past. For those he foreknew, he also predestined. He did a work in to be conformed to the image of his son. That's our present. Spirit interceding on our behalf. In order that we might be the first born among many brothers and those whom he predestined, he also called and those he called, he also justified and those he justified, he will also glorify. That's our future. God knows all of us. He knows his immeasurable grace towards us and his love for us. We get it in the passage, John three sixteen: for God so loved all of the whole creation that he gave his one and only son. God so loved you that he gave. He gave you all of this. All of this. He wants you to know this. For us, he knows. We wait. We wait in frustration and we wait in hope. And we wait in the hope for this promised new future, which is guaranteed. And in the midst of this frustration, in the midst of this hope, we are to consider and we are to know. We are to consider what is now and what will be. And we are to know that this reality is true and who God is and what he is doing for us. For God, this is a reality. It is not a maybe. It exists in all eternity. Our future right now exists forever and forever in him. In this moment of waiting, God has given us a new status, 
He's given us a declared righteousness in which he's working out. He's given us a new family that we now are children of God, heirs with Christ. We belong to him. And he's given us a new future, completed with him forever and ever. And in this, this new status, this new family, and this new future, we are waiting. Waiting between these two advents in frustration and in hope. In between these two advents, let us consider together and let us know together. Let us pray. Gracious and Heavenly Father, loving Lord, working Spirit, Lord, help us, help me to know uh, that the moments of frustration and hardship of this world help me to consider the reality of that moment. Help me, to, help me to understand and know that you are working in all things for me and for your children. Help me to consider the promised glory and the completion that you have for us and you have for me. And help me to rest on the knowledge of who you are, on, on the promises fulfilled and the promises that are coming. Help me to understand your grace and your kindness and your love. And help me to, to ponder for as much as, I, as we can the, the incredible depth of the work that you're doing each in each one of us. This work that uh, we cannot comprehend. I'm so thankful that I do not know what to pray, but you do. You do. And you are praying your will, and you are fulfilling your will in each and every one of us. Praise be to you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, amen. amen. amen.